Jordan Coots told us that we are a better listen than paid Oregon State Beaver podcasters. Yeah, I, it, although it begs the question, why aren't we getting paid? And um, I think we need to go back to we've had some some marketing uh, ideas over the past. Uh, Overstock.com, I think, was yep. one of them. Maybe Kiyosara harking back to the old Fox Sports <laughs> Net days. Um, there's been a lot, but still we got nothing. We're still independent. Um, so yeah, I don't know. What was, what was that one channel that the, uh, the 20, 2010 Apple cup was on the Chris Polk game, the black, the black, it was channel 34 on like basic. Cable oh yeah. Here. Like outdoor life network or like yeah. <laughs> the, or whatever that it not, changed around. Not OAN. I know that, that that's not what the, yeah, no, 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 <laughs> Was it versus? Was that what it was? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Versus. Okay. But it was like outdoor stuff. So it doesn't really make sense why it was called versus. Cause that makes it seem like it would be sports, but that was not the case. Um, no overstock is great. I think lost margaritas in Issaquah and really, oh, man. really Gilman Boulevard should sponsor us for how much yeah. business we've, we've brought there. Um, especially between the hours of like, 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. It's across salmon hatchery, perhaps. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we're high on their list if they've checked their uh, security footage um, on any given night. Uh, anywho, a lot of inside jokes there, but the people who know who know um, appreciate the kind words that we have been getting from uh, a lot, lots of folks who've been listening. I, I was at a wedding where um, probably 85 percent of our listener base was over the weekend. It was great to see you all, and uh, great to hear that uh, this brings joy to your life in it otherwise wonky season so keep plugging us keep uh telling folks to listen to us and uh we are working on getting this this biz on itunes and able to be listened to on apple pods but um uh, apple pods that's on them that's that's not uh for lack of trying they just um you know everyone's short staffed these days and apparently the screen bots over there just can't get it together but uh yeah so the dogs won 52 to 3 on saturday which uh, i gotta say i was kind of surprised by like I, I didn't expect the huskies to lose i wasn't quite there um but i i don't know what's more surprising to you the 52 or the three in that in that combo 52 for sure yeah. i mean arkansas state can put up points we saw that in their first two games but uh you know we know how good this defense is especially from a pass defense standpoint and that's mm-hmm. what arkansas state likes to do so um, we were able to shut them down quite effectively, but I did not expect uh, 52 points to be put up by this previously sputtering offense that is now seemingly, quote unquote, seemingly high flying. Oh, we're back on track, baby. No, it was, and really it's 45 points because Braylon Trice had the uh, the, the fumble sure. the scoop and score down late in that game, which, um, you know, was thoroughly out of hand at that point. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I saw very little of this game live. It's all been digested. Um, after the fact and digested rather quickly in the Matthew loves ball way. Is that how you watched Love it? it. Uh, no, I was actually at the game. You so. were at, I thought you were at a wedding. No, no, I'm, I'm only missing this weekend's game that we will both be missing, but at the same wedding. So I'm assuming, uh, I have already, just so you know, I've already, um, I'm charging my external battery right now and I'm going to bring my, uh, iPhone case that has my pop socket on it. And we're going to be posted up in the back of the reception hall, uh, watching this Cal UW game at 6.30 on Saturday. Absolutely fantastic. I, I love that you are uh, all prepared in all the ways that I just am never. Um, so, yeah, I, I prepared for this game by basically um, 
you know, drinking tomato soup out of a beer bong and just uh, rehashing the Arkansas State game. I mean, so a lot of um, kind of cramming for this, but uh, I think I think I got the gist here. So let's move into downs and the first down, uh, not about the quarterback, although kind of, I guess, Uh, was that. Was was that was that modern offensive football that we saw on Saturday? There was the return of a lot of things. I I, I think uh, you know not of fans of the stadium. We've already seen that. Not of wins. You know, it's not that wasn't what I was talking about. Not of rising COVID cases. I'm talking about the return, Michael, of the Dylan Morris home run celebration. We saw it for the first time all season this season because he hit a ball downfield to Jalen McMillan. It was, uh, it was nice. Lots of, lots of fun stuff, but what did you like seeing Saturday for seemingly the first time all year offensively? Well, I think you kind of hit it on the head. It's a vertical passing attack. I mean, first and foremost, I think we need to preface this by saying Arkansas state does not have a good defense. Mm -hmm. So we need to, we need to make sure we don't get carried away with ourselves here, but I think there's some positives obviously to take away from this, uh, through that, um, Similar to the Montana game, we kind of opened with it like we were trying to pass to open up the run. The only main difference was we actually had wide receivers to pass to him in, in this game, and the offensive line did not look atrocious. Um, we had first half completions of 39, 30, 19, 39 again, 18, 33, and 21, most of which were to Jalen McMillan, who played a vital role in that first half. Uh, we were up 28 nothing at halftime, and it pretty much was over um, at that point. McMillan had 152 yards on seven catches and a touchdown in the first half, uh, which is the most or the first time a Pac-12 wide receiver has gone over 150 receiving yards in the first half of a uh, game since our own John Ross did it against Cal in 2016. Ah, so yes. quite the performance from him. Uh, I was going to say this, with... this, this conference is way too weird for that to have never happened before. And yeah. Then... No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Five years ago, but, uh, but he finished with 175 on 10 catches, 11 targets and that single touchdown. Um, it, what that did though, is it really opened the running game. Um, there was a lot of uh, success in that department. Uh, Richard Newton had 10 carries for 52 yards. Kamari Pleasant actually got some burn, 48 yards on eight carries. We saw Sean McGrew actually come into the fold, which I'm sure we'll talk about here uh, in a little bit. Sean, Sean, um, Sean McCoo, is that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, 122 yards as a team on the ground overall with a 5.1 yards per carry average. Uh, that's something we clearly did not see in the first two uh, weeks of the season. Um, there's also one, one other thing I want to point out, and that would be the, uh, it would be on our first touchdown drive. There was a fourth and one that we actually went play action and found K Dotton wide open in the back of the end zone. Yep. Um, obviously we were setting this up in weeks one and two, uh, by running up the yes. gut because we needed this play for Arkansas state, yeah. but, but in all seriousness, um, it was nice to see us not do exactly what the defense expected us to do. And it proved that, you know, hey, maybe going against the grain in these scenarios can actually uh, pay, you know, pay benefits. So um, that was nice to see. Uh, frankly, I did not pay much attention attention to the second half other than who was on the field, because I think they got over 60 players onto the field in the game. Um, but it, like I said, 28 nothing at halftime, it was basically over by that point. 
you did notice though, before that fourth down conversion, that uh, it was a run up the gut on third and short. So that was almost setting up the, that one of the John Donovan drinking game triggers right yeah. there. Um, but uh, we, alas, they instead threw the beautiful play action past it to Kate Otten. Uh, you see his little celebration he did after that when he pointed to his head. Yeah, I did see that. Uh, is this uncharacteristically showy of Otten? I don't know what he's talking about. Maybe, maybe that was a signal to his offensive coordinator of, Hey, go freaking figure that if you throw me the ball downfield, this is going to yeah. work out. Uh, maybe, I mean, that's probably the, the leader in the clubhouse there. Um, yeah. Other, other stylistic things that were quite nice to see once again, deep throws in general, deep throws down the sideline. I believe those were the, definitely the first two completed the first three completed McMillan, I think had two um, at least two. And then I know Taj Davis had one as well, where he kind of caught it against his body zone read plays i had never seen those or didn't really notice those um in any of the first two games uh uh the wild wild newt wild dick wild fig uh regardless richard newton back in the wildcat formation i think you have to like that other than the stupidity of putting dylan morris at the bottom of the field there that which does nothing which we've talked about ad nauseum uh screen plays to taj davis who is just a bully he's i think you know now that he's not the number one or number two guy, you can really see him carving out a role as a, a possession receiver here and uh, a physical receiver. And, and I, I real, really like that. And then throwing to running backs, I think Cam Davis, uh, Kamari Pleasant and Sean McGrew, no, and uh, Richard Newton all had one catch, which I <laughs> seems like the first three, um, you know, intentional targets to running backs all season. And uh, all of those things are welcome additions to this Husky offense. And, you know, I, I don't have the data in front of me. I know for a fact, there was no wildcat formation, the first two games. And I know for a fact, there was, there was no completed throws down the sideline. So um, that, you know, the, the other ones we'll see, but that was, that was all really nice to see. And also just be like, eh, where the hell was that the first couple of games? For sure. And I mean, it's, it's amazing what a few extra tar, uh, targets or people to throw oh, yeah. you can do for you. Um, McMillan only saw four snaps against Michigan, wasn't targeted. It was essentially a decoy. Obviously it was out against uh, Montana. Um, having that back in this, in the frame. And then are we actually got our first glimpse of Roma Dunze on the sideline, who was very enthusiastic. He was one of the first people to meet at, meet the offense off the field, almost after every scoring drive, I was noticing he seemed pretty lively. Um, hopefully that's a sign that he is close to returning. But um, once you get him and you get uh, Bynum and obviously McMillan and a a Taj Davis who's kind of coming into his own, those are four pretty solid receiving options to go alongside Kate Otten. Uh, five pretty solid receiving offense right there. And you have Giles Jackson to use in a more um, kind of unique way, whether that be using him in motion, handing the ball off to him, just um, as a decoy, um, keeping the defense off balance. Um, so if it's a, I mean, it's a big if, but if we can um, utilize all those pieces as we are capable of, this offense actually, in theory, you know, can be pretty solid on paper. So um, I'm I'm bullish, but obviously it's a small sample size. And it's against a defense that is not very good in Arkansas State. So this coming weekend against Cal, even though Cal is by no means a world beater, I think we'll say a lot about what this offense is capable of. It's it's a massive game, in my opinion. Yeah, there's there's like a 
there's a like a five percent chance that uh everything would be fine right now if we had all three of those top receivers healthy in those first two games i mean uh you know definitely bynum made a huge difference against michigan of just providing something i shudder to think what that what a game would have been like without him uh but um you know just i think any one of those guys playing against montana you might have been in a more capable offense and does that excuse what happened? Hell no. But uh, I think that that definitely hampered what types of offense they, they wanted to run. Um, although I still think that they could have done something there. Just some numbers to finish off the Arkansas State game here. 7.4 yards per play on the game, which is great. They had 4.44 yards per play against Montana and 5.19 against Michigan. So uh, a much more efficient and productive offense all the way around. The pass run split was 56-44 in favor of uh, throwing. And against Montana, it was 67-33. So throwing 67% of the time against Michigan, 59-41. So this was the Huskies most balanced game yet, despite having the game thoroughly in hand wow. for most of it, they were still uh, on the, the, the positive side of the ledger throwing the ball. And then the Huskies had 20 runs of more than four yards uh, in the game against Montana. They had 11 and against Michigan, they had seven. So the quick math you can do in your head says, Oh yeah, those first two games didn't even add up to the amount of positive runs of four more yards um, that they had against Arkansas state. So all around a much more functioning offense, you know, I don't think there's anything that can take back the criticism that we and most of the Husky fan base has had for the first two games. However, this is basically exactly what you would have had to see to start even entertaining the idea that this can get turned around. Yep. I, it, it was nice to see. I, I mean, I know you're up by a lot of points, so you're going to run multiple um, running backs, but it was nice to see them spread the ball in that regard. Mm -hmm. I was not a fan of the, let's get two guys in rhythm um, type of approach they took because it obviously backfired immediately and then they stuck with it way too long. Yeah. Um, so the fact that they were able to include um, those guys somewhat evenly across the board, six, six to 10 carries for each of them um, was nice to see. So all in all, yeah, pretty awesome display, but let's see if they can do it again on Saturday as we move into Pac-12 play against Cal and then Oregon State and then, um, bye week. So it might be like second and two here. We picked up a good eight yards there. We're in good yeah. shape. Uh, so second down here, there are a lot of guys who made their de debuts on the season, uh, against Saturday against Arkansas state, some of which due to injury, some of which due to just, you know, very confusing things. We'll start with Sean McGrew who had a touchdown run. Uh, I believe six carries on the day looked basically like the Sean McGrew. We remember the touchdown run that he had was, uh, you know, ran through the middle of the, of the offensive line, uh, cut around a linebacker and then just bolted into the end zone. Saw that and was like, I think this is someone who should have been a part of the offense the, the last the last two games. He enrolled at UW in March of 2016. The narrative on why he wasn't playing was that it's kind of seemed to be like the team wasn't happy or the coaches weren't happy with the product productivity that he had in practice. Why does Sean McGrew, who has been here for five years, need to be going ham in practice to, to impress coaches. That doesn't make any sense to me for a lot of reasons. One, everything we know about football, the more hits you take in practice, the, you know, they're just kind of dumb at a certain point. They don't really help you. So I, I just, I don't know, Sean McGrew coming back for a sixth year. I think you can kind of put him on ice in practice and just give him the ball on, on Saturdays and be totally fine with that. And all of that logic also goes for Kamari Pleasant, who also joined the team in 2016. Yeah. That one's a weird one to me because um, given the the kind of breadth of effort and work that 
that uh, Shamgur has put in for this program, just yeah. him not really bringing it in practice doesn't add up to me. So, I mean, obviously we don't see that. So who knows? But at the end of the day, I think everybody would agree on the fan side of it that what was happening in the running game before Arkansas State was not good enough and not even close um, to not use your six-year senior returning rushing leader, at least in some capacity, is insanity. So I thought it was ironic, funny, I mean, go figure type of thing that he his first carry, uh, his first time seeing the field was him coming in because Richard Newton lost his shoe. I don't know if you noticed that. Mm-hmm. So they didn't actually sub him in like intentionally at that point. It was kind of like, okay, we need a running back in there. Um, after the, his carry, he got a standing ov- ov- ovation from a decent number of people in the stands, including myself. Um, obviously a very, um, kind of sarcastic one of that, but, um, towards the coaches that is, but first, first carry he had made a guy miss. I mean, it was like a three or four yard carry made a guy miss at the line of scrimmage though. Um, the, the third carry he had was that, I think it was 13 yard touchdown that first Mm -hmm. touchdown they had. And like you mentioned, he made the, uh, the linebacker completely, uh, jump out of his cleats. Like it's just the, the classic McGrew cut that, um, he is pretty much only capable of uh, out of this rushing attack. Um, he had another touchdown later in the game, although it was a bit weird that he went six straight possessions without seeing the field. So I think there still needs to be more Sean McGrew in this attack. Um, that being said, he got six carries. Richard Newton had the most carries and he had 10, uh, but McGrew still had the least amount of carries out of those four uh, <laughs> running backs. So I, uh, I think there's still kind of room for improvement from this coaching staff to involve him because he is a leader and he is obviously capable when he's given that opportunity. And he seems to be more slippery than any of the other running backs that we have. Totally. And Kamari Pleasant, I think, seems to be a better pass catcher, pass blocker um, than a lot of the guys, too. And he went eight for 48. Like I said, same thing about him practice wise. I don't I don't understand that to me. I don't understand why. Cam Davis would be able to come in and just be better in practice than Kamari Pleasant and Sean McGrew and have that mean more than everything that those two guys have done for the, for the program and actual games, including a bunch of practices. It just, it just seems stubborn and like this, you know, coach trying to set a tone thing that you're just trying too hard. Don't, don't think this hard about it. Cam Davis will be fine. Might be very good at some point, but uh, you know, prove to me he's better and we just haven't seen it. We didn't see it again at all against Montana, really at all against Michigan. And then, you know, he's definitely, even, even though he's played in all three games, he's in my mind, the fourth best back that you have. And so let's move forward and, and act like that. If we want to win, win games here, uh, another debut, we said Jalen McMillan, uh, missed him. We really missed him. He is quite good. He's very fast, uh, good hands going downfield. Um, last season, I think it was, it felt like him and Adunze, Dill Morris has had trouble really connecting with them on the deep ball. He was able to do that quite well um, on Saturday, 17 and a half yards per catch. Um, yeah. I mean, Jill McMillan, you know, you, you could tell it was just a hand injury and not, not a leg injury or anything like that. Cause he looks just as fast and all that uh, as he did last year. 
Yeah, and that in that uh, whatever bandage that he has on his hand is pretty minimal. I think it's just like his thumb and or pointer finger. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like a big club or something that would obviously uh, make it much more challenging to catch a ball. But um, yeah, McMillan came into this game having only logged 16 receiving yards uh, in his career at UW. So this was really? obviously a coming out party. Yeah, surprising. I know. Only had 16 receiving yards last season. Huh. Um which either is misquoted to me and uh, whatever I wherever I heard that, or um, I was equally surprised when I when I heard that. But um, yeah, so big game for him. Um, I thought it was interesting to note that uh, Dylan Morris, when asked, you know, kind of what separates McMillan. I mean, obviously he can go up and get the ball on, like he can go up and get the ball and on the sideline. But he talked about how he's a technician at the line of scrimmage and his get off is um just kind of a lot better than than what you normally see from a wide receiver something i'm going to keep an eye on uh, going forward but um it's definitely something uh, something that we did not have in um the likes of taj davis or other wide receivers that were trying to fill that void uh for the first couple weeks yeah you are you are not incorrect about that stat on on mcmillan 16 yard catch against stanford last year uh, did not oh. re, did not record a stat against utah and then had a seven yard rush in both the arizona and oregon state games so That's there crazy. you go um uh, yeah i i think it kind of like him and adunze kind of melded into one person last year and adunze was the more productive player um but um, we are happy with either of them being back at this point. Uh, Sam Heward, who I always call Luke Heward, but it, it is Sam. Sam made his, his debut in Husky Stadium on Saturday. Uh, my only takeaway is he throws a pretty ball in and attempted uh, two deep balls. One was complete to, to Giles Jackson, another one up the sideline to uh, his uh, his high school teammate. Give me the pronunciation there. That is Jabez Tenai. Boom. Uh, threw a pretty ball to him that was uh, called pass interference. Lefty's throwing weird or th- lefty's throwing always looks really weird uh, on any, I'm never ready for it. And uh, I guess we'll probably have to be ready for it at some point. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the future quarterback for the Washington Huskies, unless something strange happens. Um, so it was cool to see him come out there and obviously pretty cool for his parents being Damon Heard. Um, both of his parents went to the university of Washington, in fact, and obviously his uh, uncle Brock Heard went to UW so that was pretty cool for for the Heard family, I'm sure. Um, his stat line was two for five for 31 yards, but two of those five attempts were pass interference calls on the defense. So it was more so like two for three. He had one overthrow um, up to the sideline, but other than that, he um, was able to connect with Giles Jackson for, I think, like 23 yards. And then um, I think I think it was Tenai with the other catch. Um or someone I'm, I'm forgetting who, but um, yeah, it was, I mean, they scored on the drive that he was in. It wasn't a, a touchdown, but he got down the field and was able to convert a field goal uh, through Peyton Henry. So I think that's, I think it's a positive for your first offensive drive in college football. You, you put points on the board. So him, him uh, being the deep ball pass interference guy is, is, is Sam Heward just going to be Joe Flacco? I mean, that, that was how Joe Flacco made a career out of, of getting pass interferences downfield. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> hey, however, however you got to do it to move the ball down. Uh, another fre- or freshman, retro freshman, I don't know what the classification is anymore. Daniel Haimuli uh, played a lot at linebacker on Saturday. Uh, originally when I heard that he had played a lot from someone who watched the game, I thought that that meant that he had played more in favor or him over Jackson sermon, but he actually played in, in favor of Edifon, Edif, 
Edifuan Lufoshio, which is very surprising because Eddie is probably the Huskies' best defensive player uh, and apparently was injured. And so they didn't want to have him play too much, could have played if they needed him to, but uh, the goal was to have Jaime handle it and seems to have been okay. Um, although against a team like Arkansas State, he's going to spread the ball around. Not really the best game for Jaime to uh, do what he is probably best at, which is stopping the run. Yeah, it was uh, Eddie only played six snaps in this game, so he was he was um, feeling well enough to actually still make an appearance. But um, Lake did say that there was nursing some knock, um, so Haimuli did start. Um, outside of NJ Defisi, Daniel Haimuli is probably the next guy in line to help sh- uh, shore up the depth at inside linebacker. So it was good to see him get some run in this weekend. Um, I don't really have a lot of specifics to, to note on Haimuli. Um, although I think if we're going to be talking about inside linebackers uh, f- from Saturday, the guy to actually talk about is Carson Bruner. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he had a really impressive game, in my opinion. He played 29 snaps and he had eight tackles in those snaps. But what was impressive to me is he, his pers- he, the way he pursued the ball and the way he was able to um, – get sideline to sideline. He had some range that kind of was like, is, am I watching Ben Burkirvan all over again? Like just running at the ball carrier um, and just throwing his body at people. Um, And I thought that was a, a kind of a, a good thing to see, especially in an inside linebacking core that is not super deep. Um, So you got Tafisi, Haimuli, and now Carson Bruner is in the mix as far as I'm concerned for backing up, um, sermon and Ulafoscio. So, um, that was a positive as well. One other note of starters on the defense that did not usual starters that did not start, um, and on top of Ulafoscio, Tuli Latuli Gasanoa did not start either. I believe he did see the field, but I'm assuming it wasn't as much. And I think it was, he was also nursing a knock. So, um, I don't think anything to be concerned about going into Cal, but just something to note. There you go. Um, yeah, Carson Bruner, of course, uh, for my dad who's listening, who will think Bruner. I know Bruner. Yeah, yeah. Mark Bruner. That is his father. Mark Bruner, uh, former tight end on the national championship uh, UW team and also played was first round pick, played for Steelers and I believe the Texans as well. Uh, Tim Horn was uh, has done kickoffs all season, did kickoffs last year. But Tim Horn is uh, now took a couple PATs, I believe, in this game. Uh, and normally that is Peyton Henry's job, but I think this is pretty much as simple as Peyton Henry is a junior. Somehow uh, Peyton Henry feels like he's been a part of our lives for a decade. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Tim Horn is is a sophomore and uh, you want to get some basically free experience for the younger guy. And Tim Horn already does kicks or kickoffs. And so if he can do PATs and hit field goals, then why do you need two kickers is probably what they're thinking there. Um, And we've seen Peyton Henry have trouble with distance kicks over his career for the most part. And in theory, Tim Horn, who can hit kickoffs would have less of a problem there. I think that's all that boils down to. Yeah. It seemed pretty innocent to me as well. Um, But I, in the moment it didn't necessarily, but after the game, Jimmy Lake's comments seemed to uh, make it not that big of a deal. Um, we should note that Peyton Henry did come on for the field goal attempt late in the game. Um, we were sitting in the, in the stands there making note of that and thinking, could we be seeing a Tim Horn field goal attempt? Although it sounds like they do want to get him an attempt at some point later this season. So that could be something we could see again. I think it's just for experience reasons, but something to keep an eye on going forward. 
If we ever make a Husky bingo board, the Tim Horn uh, field goal attempt, (laughs) the Tim Horn uh, field goal attempt might need to be in there. I just hit uh, Mm -hmm. play on my headphones and that, uh, that just goes to my iTunes of what's on my computer and Bismarck. He's just, <laughs> just a friend started playing out of nowhere. It scared the shit out of me. Uh, anyways, uh, the last, the last debut here was, uh, not of a new guy, but a, a new, uh, a new altitude for our offensive coordinator, Don Donovan, who normally I guess calls games from the sideline and this game decided to, or was told to, uh, call the game from the booth. And the rationale that's been given is that, uh, that allows Donovan to see the game better, which to me, no shit. Uh, it seems like the, yep. you can see a lot better. Like the sideline is the worst possible angle to try and diagnose a defense from. Uh, and now it seems that he can appear or he can see the the green grass down the field and, and see that there's open space for guys to run in. And, and uh, I, I think that's, that's a, that's a welcome thing for this, this offense, really innovative uh, approach to how to, how to look at things. Yeah. I honestly was always, um, surprised to see him on the sidelines last season and yeah. in the first two games. Um, it's frankly something I can't remember ever seeing before from a offensive coordinator. Um, maybe it happens some places around the country, but I can't remember a UW coordinator ever doing that. So um, yeah, it seemed like a no brainer to me. I understand the reasoning, but at the same time, it's like if it's affecting your ability to do your job, which, you know, given what we've seen so far, it very well could have been. Um, yeah, this seems like something that you should certainly do and be in the booth. And I hope this continues. Yeah. The, the reason given that why he was down there in the first place on the sidelines was that he wanted to get to know the new players on last year's team because they had kind of a, a abbreviated practice or training camp ahead of, ahead of that wonky season last year, which is a fine sentiment. I just don't know how much bonding you're going to do in the middle of a game. Like what, what are you going to do during the game? That's like that productive there. I feel like you can make up for that in a lot of different ways, but what do I know? So the, 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 uh, the, the skeptical theory there is that John Donovan would have continued to love to be on the, on the sidelines. However, everyone knew that if he was on the sidelines and people now know who he is and he's public enemy number one uh, for Husky fans, he would have been berated by, by Husky fans, even though Saturday is pretty good day for him. And uh, that is, that is one way to look at it and probably could not, you know, I don't know if I played a hundred percent in a role in the decision, but not zero for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All those people that brought uh, tomatoes or whatever to throw at him were probably disappointed. Yeah. Um, I think they're just making Caprese. So nothing to worry about there. Uh, so is his now, is his new name, Johnny Jumbotron? Is that, is, can we call him that? Sure. Yeah. All right. It's, it's yeah. solid. <laughs> I don't get the Jumbotron reference, but, uh, just, just he wasn't he can, on the Jumbotron. He, he can see it up there. That, that's, that's, I don't know. Yeah. He, just, he can see a lot more. That's for sure. Exactly. Yeah. He's, he can see like Washington, you know, he's, he's got a whole lot of other stuff going on there that John, Johnny in the cut. <laughs> It's, it's everything's open there. So that's, yep. that's pretty much it that we'll talk about for this game. Um, we'll talk about one other kind of UW adjacent thing here in third down, which is the Jake Hayner corollary. Jake Hayner, um, who had a fantastic weekend and has had a fantastic season, just beat UCLA in a thrilling game, almost beat Oregon in game one. Now the quarterback for Fresno State, former UW quarterback, he has thrown for almost 1,500 yards in four games, 10 touchdowns, one interception. So the question here is what if Jake Hayner had never left the University of Washington? 
He left after getting beat out in camp by Jacob Eason ahead of the 2019 season. So I think the first year that we were in Adidas uniforms, if you're trying to date that. Uh, and he left because he wanted to get a guaranteed two seasons of college football, which he has now got at Fresno State. He got the 2020 season and he's getting this season. Uh, just backing up a little bit on Hayner, he was the 2017 scout team MVP as a freshman uh, at UW uh, as, as a walk-on. And then 2018, he came in and mop-up duty against North Dakota. Actually, forgot about this, but definitely remembered it as, as it happened. He came in, was 7-for-7 seven seven with 110 yards and a touchdown. <laughs> Looked quite good. He was just throwing bombs downfield. And then he came in and not mop-up duty, an emergency backup duty for a woefully bad Jake Browning in a Cal game that was going sour a couple of years ago. And in his relief duty, he went one for one for four with a pick six that was ultimately the, the deciding play in that game in relief of, of Browning with those really dumb, shiny purple helmets on. We looked like idiots. And then uh, came in against OSU later in that season in, in actual mop-up duty. Uh, so... I don't know where you want to start here, but that that's Hainer's career at UW. We didn't see anything else beyond that because he transferred. What do you think? I mean, should, should what, what would life have been like if, uh, if Jake Hainer had stayed here or should he have stayed here or anything that you want to do with Jake Hainer? This is a, an open forum. Well, I, I don't blame him for leaving. I mean, leaving to get playing time makes sense. Like I can't fault anybody for doing that. That being said, when he did that, when he transferred, he did have to sit out a season because mm -hmm. I don't know why, because yeah. I don't, you know, some he people do. He wouldn't have had to don't. these days, but yeah. Yeah. He had to sit out a season. So the season that Jacob Eason was the starter, he did not play. So his first time playing for Fresno State was last season. And he's obviously playing now and conceivably could play next season too, um, because he did not lose any eligibility last season. Uh, for some reason, Fresno State lists him as a senior on their player profile page, but uh, he does have eligibility next season as well. Um, so three seasons, um, theoretically, that could have been the same here at UW. I, I frankly think it. Chris Peterson was adamant that the um, that the competition between him and Eason was close, and we kind of laughed that off in the moment. But now looking back in it, I kind of start to think like, man, that actually could have been true. Um, you know, Jacob Eason obviously was this huge uh, prototypical NFL quarterback that had all these accolades. He played at Georgia, et cetera, et cetera. But he was all in all a, a disappointment at, at the University of Washington, I would say. Yeah. And um, thinking back on that now, how that played out, you know, maybe Jake Hayner was actually kind of in that that race and to think, okay, Jacob Eason's, we didn't know this now, but Jacob Eason left as a junior, it would have been Hayner versus Morris, um, for the starting job. I, and I, I think Hayner probably would have won that. I, I mean, who knows, but just what I've seen, uh, on the field, the last couple of years from Hayner, um, versus Morris, I would take Hayner right now as a yeah. quarterback. Yeah, I, I think that's that's all pretty fair. I, I revisited that um, that whole decision about Eason and and Hayner because you're you're absolutely right. You and I thought that that was all hot smoke to try and keep 
good graces with Hayner and not give too much anointing to, to Jacob Eason, but that was all under the guise in our minds that Jacob Eason was really good and he was fine and, you know, had some definitely spectacular moments, but sure. overall, like you said, it was pretty disappointing in, in his time here. Uh, P- Peterson said at the time that it was a gut decision between uh, Hayner and, and Eason and that he went with Eason gut to me sounds probably political decision of like you don't want to piss off sure. five-star quarterback who transferred back here from from georgia to uh to come here and knowing that the fan base would not really understand why considering what we saw from jay Kaner the previous year uh but then he also said that there was going to be in that first game of the season of 2019 with eastern that jay Kaner was gonna play he said that he was gonna play a quarter or two in that game um yeah. even though he did not win the starting job and that kind of makes sense, though, that then, then Hayner would have transferred because if Hayner was a sophomore or was then technically a I don't, I don't know exactly how this would work out eligibility wise because of no one could have predicted the extra pandemic season. But say yeah. he does play in 2019, whether it's just that Eastern game and that was it or a significant amount, then he would have only had one season left of eligibility. Um, but in theory, it had been two because of the COVID thing. But anyways. Um, he just saw of like, I need to guarantee myself two years somewhere. So I'm going to take this year off and then I'm going to get, um, my second last year of eligibility or one, my junior and senior year of eligibility after I transfer, cause I didn't redshirt and there it is. And I think how it broke, he could have done that had he stayed at UW. Um, but it, uh, I don't think he could have predicted that, but also it really came down to, you know, him did he think Eason was going to stay two years? Cause that would have explained everything. Yeah. And there's a lot of conjecture there that you really can't, yeah. you don't. Know. Um, so again, going back, I, I can't blame him for leaving for playing time. Uh, he's also going back to California. He's from uh, Danville, California, I believe, which is right outside the Bay area. Um, somewhat closer to Fresno. Mm-hmm. Um, Fresno is more central, but you know, that's, that's closer to home. Um, it's yeah, I, I can't blame him. He's obviously doing really well at Fresno State. Fresno State is ranked. And honestly, I don't know who Fresno State is going to lose to. I think no. they're, they're capable of beating Boise State. They're capable of beating, uh, I think they have Nevada on their schedule still. Um, I'm missing one other team. But but for the most part, I would not be surprised if they run the table from here on out, which would be incredible. Um, and if, if so, their only loss is against Oregon, they might, and Oregon makes it the playoff, which certainly seems possible, if not likely at this point, uh, they could be like, Hey, we, you know, we were on the doorstep of beating the a top four team in the country and uh, put us in a new year six game, which would be yeah. unbelievable. If that, if Jake Hayner uh, weaseled his way and weaseled is a derogative term, but you know, managed, made the situation happen and then willed him, willed the team all the way to a new year six game from the, the mountain West, which would be, Unbelievable. And I'm rooting yeah. for it because he, he he's a very easy guy to root for other than that pick six, because that, that is basically his crowning achievement as a Husky. Sure. I, I saw just really quickly to wrap this up. I saw that Fresno State has now beaten UCLA four straight times, <laughs> three of which have been in the Rose God. Bowl, which is just like incredible to think about. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything more UCLA than than losing that game um, after the LSU game and the the hype and um, it's just something we saw over and over with Jim Mora of just getting getting high and then and then losing and uh, you know it's it's too bad that that's endemic down there but uh, it it seems to have been moving on to um, speaking of Cal who that 
aforementioned pick six came against. Uh, fourth down here is previewing the Cal Bears, who have been a thorn in the Husky side for the last two times that they have played them. Cal has won the last two meetings these teams have played by a combined three points in, in 2019. Uh, the Huskies lost 20 to 19 in the uh, Lightning game, which who could forget that banger? Uh, in 2018, they lost 12 to 10 in the Hainer game, where afterwards Evan Weaver talked about uh, Cal linebacker Evan Weaver talked about uh, how their culture was better than ours. Uh, and then 2017, uh, the Huskies won 38 to seven. I remember nothing of that game. Uh, and then the 2016 game was that John Ross game that you talked about where John Ross basically did whatever he wanted in that game. And the Huskies were uh, at the peak of their powers in that game offensively. And one game before that 24 to 30, that was uh, in 2015. And that was Jared Goff coming in clutch for Cal in a road game in Jake Browning's first season uh, with, uh, with UW there. So that's uh that's that's recent history with Cal. What do you have on this year's Bears? Other than I lied to everybody and said Chase Garbers was gone, he's very much still a part of the picture. You cannot kill J- Chase Garbers. He's still there. That's what the crazy thing about this frozen eligibility last season. I don't know why uh, I would assume that anyone has left college. Like you could tell me right now that like uh, I don't know uh, Alexis Cerna, <laughs> the kicker for Ohio or Oregon State. Yeah, that like uh, something like random like that. Bradley Van Pelt, the quarterback for Colorado State in the early 2000s, has, has got an extra yield. Jeff Smoker from Michigan State, like John Navarre, all these random guys are just like, yeah, I got an extra year of eligibility. Let's uh, let's freaking do this thing. But yeah, Chase Garbers, a part of the picture, will be starting for the Bears on Saturday. He's there. Um, yeah, I I frankly don't, and you know this is this is terrible from from me, but I frankly don't know a whole lot about Cal. Um, I know that they've lost to a Nevada team 22 to 17 that opened up the season um, who usually is solid. Although Nevada just lost to a good Kansas state team, uh, sneaky, 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 good Kansas state team. Um, and then Cal uh, had a 34 32 loss at TCU before they snuck out a 12 point win over Sac state this past weekend. So um, not much to really take from that. Uh yeah. 12 point win against Sacramento state is not very inspiring stuff. Um, but you know, this is a, this is a, uh, Wilcox led defense that always has caused us issues since he's, uh, gone over there. So, um, yeah, I, it, they scare, they scare me just because of the history. I mean, you, you spell it out before this. Yeah. Um, so I'm not, I'm not counting this as a surefire win, but we are a seven and a half point favorite. Um, so, Vegas at least thinks we should win, which I don't know if that is something we should be excited about, but it's something. Yeah, I actually think that spreads a little low. I don't think that this year's Cal team is very good. Last year's team definitely wasn't very good. Uh, Garbers is a, a threat. He's he's played a lot of, of sure. football in the conference and has won in Husky Stadium before. Um, his first game was the original Cheez-It Bowl. Do you remember that game? The 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 pick fest against TCU um, where mm-hmm. they just had the, the cheese at bowl two the other day, but uh, yeah, he threw three interceptions in that game. And then in 2019, he went seven and two or Cal went seven and two in his starts. Um, they were not very good when he didn't play um, including when he summoned lightning to beat us in, in that game uh, last year, went one and three was sacked 15 times in four games. So just absolutely battered last year that kept him a little more upright this year, um, 7.8 yards per attempt and running a lot. So that chase Garbers were a lot of scrambling, a lot of getting out of third and, you know, seven, because the guys are downfield. You'll see more of that. That's very much still his game. Uh, this year's Cal team 
52nd offensive S&P plus 74th in defensive S&P plus, which is pretty low for Wilcox team. Uh, they were as high as 29th overall in 2018 and then 46th in 2019 there on defense. But this year um, they are just uh, 74th and that's the lowest number in a full season since his first year in 2017, when he was recovering from the Sonny Dykes era of defense. What the hell is that? So um, this is, this is kind of a weird Bears team where they are trying to outscore you and can 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 move the ball but have trouble stopping people, which is the exact opposite of the Cal teams that the Huskies can certainly remember. So uh, we'll see. Like I said, I think that spread is a little low. Maybe I'm a little too high on the Arkansas State juice um, and the idea that you know the Skybox John Donovan is is the is a fixed, um, but uh, but we'll see here. So uh, let's move on to the party scene. Just talking college football broadly, and my question for you is, uh, Michael, who is the best team in college football right now, and why is it Montana? <laughs> Yeah, no. Um, the best team. I mean, I would usually just say Alabama here, but I mean that was a pretty close game against uh, Florida. They only won by two. I mean, maybe it's Georgia. Georgia has looked pretty pretty great. I, I think it's got to be one of those two teams. I think you're right, and that's exactly what I had here. Is that it's either Georgia, Alabama, and I think the point there is that it's at least a question, and that's okay with sure. me. That that uh, Alabama is only going to get more powerful throughout the season. Bryce Young is a, is a, you know, redshirt freshman here, um, but uh, they look gettable or they don't, not by mortal teams, by any means, like what, Jesus Christ, no one, no one, no, like Ole Miss maybe, but uh, like Vanderbilt is not going to snap on them or anything like that. However, uh, you know, they, they are gettable and that, that makes for an interesting college football landscape because Oklahoma doesn't seem very good. Ohio state can't stop anybody. Uh, they have like infighting with their own defensive coordinator. Yep. And then Clemson, WCBC, <laughs> 14 to eight yeah. against Georgia Tech. And they were only up seven to three with like eight minutes left in the game. Yeah. Clemson's eking out wins against a very bad Georgia, Georgia Tech team. Um, yeah. So your your traditional powers are really reduced down to pl- the traditional powers playing well. It's Georgia and Alabama, uh, which leaves the door wide open for any, a team that can get hot. And, you know, I think that's. Seems like the door is open for Oregon in that case. Uh, yeah, let's just talk about Fresno State more. Yeah. It's open for them. Uh, do, do, you, do you want to talk about how bad the Pac-12 was this week, or is there anything non-Pac-12 related that you'd um, like to? Yeah, I mean, the Pac-12 is really bad. You could you could argue that the Mountain West is like on par with the Pac-12 right now. Um, you obviously had the Fresno State win over UCLA. BYU beat Arizona State. Uh, 27 17 uh minnesota blanked colorado 30 to nothing uh, no notes uh, on that one colorado uh had like 65 yards of offense or something the whole game they averaged two yards per play two which uh, means means that if they had five downs instead of four oh that my. they might have gotten more than the six first downs they had in that whole game uh, you aren't kidding 63 total yards they yeah. had negative 19 <laughs> rushing yards that is appalling they were i know they they're were, averaging like 215 yards per game which is by far the least of any yeah. actual no it's it, colorado is always going to struggle offensively they just don't have the speed uh but that's unbelievable that game was in denver and minnesota is a good program you know fine but should not be dusting you at home like that. That is that that, yeah. that is really really bad. Yeah, that it's it's just it's not it's not good. It's, Utah, it, <laughs> Utah, Utah is like maybe the best or the worst version of a Whittingham team I've seen. 
Yeah, for real. They can't stop anybody. Utah lost to San Diego State and their quarterback transferred afterwards. Uh, Charlie yeah. Brewer was the the Baylor quarterback who transferred to be the starting quarterback for uh, Utah this year. Nope. Uh, got benched in the middle of that game and then was filled in for by Cameron Rising. Uh, and now Cameron Rising's the guy and Charlie Brewer will be playing elsewhere. So where do you think, when do you think Charlie Brewer realized I'm going to transfer? Was it like in the third quarter of that game? I'm just like, yeah, I'm, this, this, this ain't it. Yeah, he must have hated I, hated Salt Lake City. Yeah, that's incredible. I've I've not seen someone do that before, like that quickly. That that's pretty bad. That's when you know it's it's really bad. I mean, we just okay. talked about a guy who got benched and then transferred in Jay Kaner. So the, this is just sure. the, in, the in season version of that, or but a yeah, few, a few weeks later version. Going in season like that when you are still like the maybe the starter going forward, even though you got benched in the game, like that's that's a little bit different. Yeah, um, we we haven't even touched on pro- maybe the worst loss here, and maybe the worst loss in Pac-12 history. Maybe and, the worst, maybe the worst team in Pac-12 history. Well, it's, they have the longest losing streak in college football at 15 games, and that is our uh, our Arizona Bear Down uh, uh, Wildcats. So yeah, 21-19 loss to Northern Arizona. When you're when you're losing to directional schools from the same state, that is always a bad thing. Um, I think a lot of people are starting to question why did we hire Jed fish? What is he going to do for us? That's funny. I I, I wrote it as Jeff fish. Cause I think it was like Jeff Fisher. Is it Jeff Fisher just under a disguise, but no, his name is Jed fish. Jeff uh, fish. Yeah. NAU sounds made up. Like if you just like had a, had a fake, like fake sitcom and that, you know, your kid went the, the, the son in the show, like went to go play quarterback at a fake school. You'd be like, Oh, he's going to play for NAU. Uh, but no, it's real Northern Arizona and they, 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 they did it. And that's not even a good Northern Arizona team. I think that was their first win of the season. Um, and they went into Tucson and won. Jed fish promised in his, uh, opening press conference for Arizona a couple years ago, uh, a precision passing game that was going to be a part of their, you know, moving the ball downfield, uh, their precision passing game, 11 of 19 for 79 yards and two interceptions against Northern Arizona. So the Jed fish era is, um, he was he was a shocking hire because no literally no one knew who he was. He was just kind of a guy who was around a bunch of other guys for a long time. And uh, it's going about as well as anyone could have predicted. You know, maybe Northern Arizona is sneaky good this year. And I only say this because their two losses have been against Sam Houston State and South Dakota, who are two of the who are two of the best FCS teams out there. Uh, that is one incredible non-conference scheduling in FCS, <laughs> yeah. but um, they still have Montana on their schedule too. So um, I don't know F, who knows, but it's just bad from Arizona. Montana hasn't lost yet, right? No, they were, uh, they won their second game and then they were idle this past week. Idle. I love when teams are idle. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's, that's good. Uh, okay. Great cats of the week. Who do you got? Who's, who's meowing this week? I hate to do this because I, I don't hate Boise State, but man, they keep losing just brutal games. Um, they they lost another primetime game this weekend. Uh, this one against Oklahoma State, they had a field goal blocked with two minutes left. Um, Oklahoma State ended up winning by one. Uh, this goes with the just horrendous pick that Hank Bachmeyer threw in Week One or Week Zero, whatever it was, their first game. Uh, against UCF down there in Orlando where he had the first down with his feet. He was actually like a oh. full two yards across the line of scrimmage. It should have been a legal forward pass. 
Um, and he just airmailed an interception. This was like on UCF's 35. So uh, yeah, they've dropped a couple absolutely brutal games in primetime national television. Um, yeah, it's it hasn't been good so far for Boise State. So uh, that's who I have for Great Cat. The week. Hank the Hank Bachmeyer era has been interesting he won i remember he won his very first game as a true freshman in tallahassee and that was a couple of years ago before we were like yeah. oh florida state really sucks um <laughs> they're a great it, cat too yeah way. oh god yeah um so it, it was kind of like oh my god he's gonna be amazing and he is very good he's been injured with some concussion stuff as well um but uh yeah just kind of a maddening experience with talent wise definitely one of the best guys they've had there uh my great cat were was goes to uh jimmy lake's outfits recently he loves he loves that polo with the the shoulder shit going on it's just yeah it's like the least swaggy thing you could possibly put on in the adidas catalog which is already I, full of not very swaggy things i have a i kind of have a take here on uw clothing um, sucks any anything that that where gold is more than an accent is usually terrible in my yeah opinion. yeah that's that is one thing we can hang our hat on as a program is we never got to the point where we thought let's have gold uniforms and just just see how yeah. that looks um yeah so so we we are we are blessed in that way and the gold maybe, helmets are great though but that's you know and it's kind of an accessory it's not on the jersey yes gold accent that's where we want to be that's yeah a sweet spot gold pants also or you know sure whatever the jerseys are different i guess when i'm thinking like like regular like stuff clothing that non-players wear as yeah mind. yeah when i think of gold uniforms i think of like the the kevin smith era ucf teams um they, they kind of pulled it off but that's that's really about it in in mm -hmm. college football lore uh yeah sure. jimmy jimmy like those those shirts with the the shoulder things they just he's worn the inverted versions of it back-to-back -back weeks that michigan it was the purple stripes on gold shirt and uh uh, Arkansas state was gold stripes on purple shirt. Same thing. Like, I don't know if he just alternates the rest of the season, I guess then that's the thing, but, um, yeah, we, Hey, we, we can do better. He's not doing the beanie over the hat that <laughs> Sark did. So at least yeah. he hasn't gotten there yet. Yeah. Style wise. That's, that's about as bad as it got. Uh, we'll have to look back <laughs> on, on most stylish coaches at some point here. And, and yeah, I, I don't really remember what Rick Neuheisel was trying out there in, but uh, a lot of polos probably, but. Keith Gilbertson, on. Keith Gilbertson out there in like a hoodie with mustard on it. <laughs> oh, no, I, no idea what time the game started. <laughs> yeah. uh, boy. Okay. OKJ okay, of the week. What do you got? Uh, we've already talked about this at length, but it had to be Jay Kaner. I, mm. I, don't, I don't know if we even mentioned that he was like Busting. very hurt down the stretch. Like his hip was jacked up. He got hurt on one, like the play before he had the, um tying or go one of his touchdowns uh yeah that was just an incredibly gutsy performance um it wasn't man i like i cannot root enough for this kid like it was awesome to watch um and I, i'm gonna be a fresno state fan for the rest of the season that's for sure what if there's a world where these receivers get healthy montana was actually quite good and that we just stunk that game michigan's very good and the huskies run the table or or you know go one loss the rest of the way and they run into like a Fresno state team in the Alamo bowl or something like that. <laughs> could you, could you imagine that'd be the coolest game ever. And we probably Jay would probably beat us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. There would be no, other and I like, there'd time. be part of me that would love that. Like very small part of oh, me that yeah. would love that for him. Well, first, first but... of all, this means that we're going to a bowl game, which would be, you know, quite the salvage for, from where we were last yeah, week. Wow. 
Um, but, it's amazing uh, what an Arkansas State win can do for you. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, my OKG, I didn't, I couldn't really think of one this week other than just Christian Cable uh, for the Athletic. I might have said sure. him before, but he's he's just very, very good and quite literally our kind of guy. Like the way he breaks games down, the way he uh, chooses subjects to talk about, the way he, um, you know, kind of pushes the issue with like the Sean McGrew thing. He had a story about how it's just kind of patently absurd that he's not playing. Um, that I read just before this, he is, uh, he's just, he's a very good guy to have in the corner. And if you don't subscribe to the athletic took you long enough, um, Stan, yeah, but take me a bit, but, uh, if you don't subscribe and you're on the fence and want good Husky coverage, uh, I also just subscribed to the Seattle times this year. So I get that. So I don't have to refresh my cookies all the time. Um, nice. so do it for both of them, do it for the local journalism. But, uh, I, I truly think the athletic subscription is worth it just to get Christian cable. And, and one, well, first of all, I am a huge proponent for supporting local newspapers. So mm-hmm. awesome that you're subscribing to the Seattle Times. Uh, just to add one final note, because you said he is truly our kind of guy. He really is, because on his latest article, he uh, extended a heartfelt thank you to the gentleman who offered <laughs> offered him an individual hot dog in a plastic baggie in the stadium. This I was going to ask if that I was, feel like we can relate to that. So. I was going to ask if that was you, actually, that that, that gave him that. It was not, but there have been, there's, there have been people that I know that, that took just no condiments, but just hot dogs in a Ziploc bag, pocketed them from our tailgates, took them into the stadium as snacks. So, you know, there are people out there that do this. He's got to keep that thing on you, you know, and, and, uh, that, that is no different. All right. Well, uh, we're back on the horse. This, uh, this, this train is all the way around after a thorough drubbing of the, the red wolves last week and, uh, nothing else can happen other than us being miserably disappointed at some wonky ass thing that happens against Cal on Saturday. You know, what's, what's very interesting about this Cal game is this, since we started the podcast a few years ago, this might be the first time we have actually, well, I take that back the Boise state bowl game. Mm -hmm. Uh, but one of the, maybe the second time that we have been together for, uh, an actual Utah football game, albeit it's during a wedding and not in the stadium, but, um, interesting note i guess yeah, maybe we'll live podcast from the reception yeah we'll do we'll do a halftime voicemail segment and uh we'll just play <laughs> it it could it could be anything um and, yeah. and very much like that boise state game there will be plenty of uh cervezas involved in the in the viewing sure. experience so can't wait for that can't wait to see you and uh yeah i mean let's do it go dogs go dogs